This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. Well, what's up, everybody? It's so good to be back with you. I haven't preached in six weeks. So today, we're kicking off a new series called Build It Now, based out of the book of Nehemiah. So today, we're going to go back into kind of my rhythm when I'm speaking. I'm going to invite you to stand. We're going to read through Nehemiah chapter 1 and chapter 2, a passage out of each chapter. And so would you stand all across the room as we honor the reading of the Word of God this morning, beginning the very beginning of Nehemiah. The word of Nehemiah, son of Hakali. In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanai, one of my brothers came from Judah with some other men. And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province and are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love to those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed your commands, decrees, and laws that you gave your servant Moses. Now to Nehemiah chapter 2. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me, Why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of the heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? And the king said to me, What is it that you want? And I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, in his sight, Let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I may rebuild it. Let's pray. Father God, we just come before you. Thankful that you have invited us into the story you are writing. Lord, we ask that in a moment like this, that your Holy Spirit in this place will convict and challenge and change us. Please do not let us walk out of this room the same. 
as you do that, God, may you provoke a next step of faith in our life. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen, amen. You may take a seat. Touch your neighbor and say, build it now. Now you touch them back and say, this is going to be the best 90-minute message I've heard all week. We'll get out of here sometime after lunch. How about that? I ain't preached in six weeks. Just get ready. It's going to be good. Yesterday was our church's 11th birthday. We started on September the 9th, 2012. That day we had 238 people in attendance and 15 people on the very first day said yes to Jesus. It was one of those days where you walked out thinking, I feel like we're in a revival. I don't know. But we know according to just the trends of planting a church that not that many people are going to come back. Instead of going into a revival, you go into a Gideon's revival. You may not know what that means, but it means the numbers go backwards. Okay, So for the next six months, the numbers trailed off until February 10th of 2013. When we hit the bottom, it was 91 people in attendance that Sunday. 91. And then God began to build something. For the last 11 years, it has been remarkable to watch what God has done through Vortex Church. 1,361 people have said yes to Jesus at Vortex. I'm telling you. Just to put that in context, because it's hard for us to put that in context, that's more than the enrollment at North Stanley, Albemarle, and South Stanley high schools combined. It's, one, it's eight and a quarter percent of Albemarle's population. It's tough to even wrap our minds around that. In the last 11 years, Vortex has given $530,000 to missions. That's over a half a million dollars to missions in a community where the average per capita income is $26,000 a year. I want you to know that's mind-blowing. In the last 11 years, we've given over $100,000 to the ark, which means that we have almost single-handedly planted two other churches We've given over $85,000 to Children's Cup just to feed kids in developing nations. That's not mission trips or projects. That's just feeding kids. Knowing that the per cost, right, is less than 10 cents a meal. That's how many meals we've provided to kids. In 2018, the church was growing and we purchased a property in downtown Albemarle and 2019 we started to remodel it things were going so good it was an up and to the right season then you know the story 2020 hit there was a lot that happened in that year the COVID pandemic the racial tensions the political divide our church was shut down for 22 weeks we reopened in August to about 250 people in average attendance, which broke this pastor's heart because in January of 2020, we had a normal Sunday where we had more than 500 in attendance. We were literally cut in half. I was talking to my counselor in that season. 
my counselor said, Kevin, there are some things in life that you cannot change. As a matter of fact, there's a lot of things in life you cannot change. And he said these words, and this has been super helpful for me. He said, you have to accept what you cannot change. There's some of us that, well, I don't want to accept it. I don't like it. And he said, he said Kevin, listen, you don't have to. You don't have to like it because I didn't like it. You don't have to agree with it because I didn't agree with it. You don't even have to approve of it. But if it's there, then that's what it really is. You will have to accept it for what it is. So I accepted it. I can remember sitting in a staff meeting looking at our church staff and saying for so long we've said these are our pre-pandemic numbers and this is the way it has been and we're a church of this and but we were this before the pandemic and I said y'all we need to stop saying that kind of stuff here's what we need to say we're a church of 250 we're a church of 250 and in that moment I said this is why because God's going to do something in our church and we won't always be this. And if we're not willing to say it right now, when we get to where we're going, we won't have a testimony. See, God can't turn your mess into a message if you won't accept it right where it is right now. And in many ways, this is where we find Nehemiah at the start of this book. Jerusalem, his hometown, is in ruins. And he's having to process the fact that this city that he loves has been destroyed. What many of you probably don't know is that this is the book that God used to call me and my wife home to Plant Vortex Church. We had prayed for many years. God, give us an opportunity. There are opportunities for church planting. I mean, we had visited and looked at Bluffton, South Carolina. Pastor Sean that was here just a few weeks ago, we helped Pastor Sean plant Venture Church in Bluffton, South Carolina. At the time that we went there, Bluffton had grown by a thousand percent in three years. There weren't enough churches for the people who want to go to church. There's an opportunity there. But because of the way that God deals with Nehemiah, we started praying something different. As we read this book, Nehemiah is getting bad news. The walls have fallen down. The walls have been destroyed. Look at what it says in verse 3. They said to me, those who survived the exile, now just put it in context, we know that the nation of Israel, the kingdom of Israel divides into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom, all right? Then they're both conquered and the best and the brightest are taken away and become slaves. Now, after this happens, a portion first are allowed to return. That's when the book of Nehemiah takes place. He said to me, those who survived the exile, this first portion to return, are back in the province and are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. The next verse says this. 
when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days, I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Why is this a big issue? It's real simple. If you're taking notes, this is the first thing in your notes today. The walls of a city were a vital part of its protection. Vital part. As a matter of fact, this is still a reality we live in today. This is why we're arguing about building a wall along our southern border. This is why you go back 20 years, 30 years, and there was a wall around East Germany. And we celebrated in the late 90s when the wall came down. This is a big part of the biblical narrative. When the children of Israel invade the promised land, one of their first big tests was to come to the city of Jericho. Jericho was a big deal because it was fortified. It had a wall. And if you pay attention to the story, God said, listen, if you'll do what I tell you to do, I will take care of the wall, and then you can take care of the people. And they did. They marched around it. They shouted. God took care of the wall, and they took care of the people. This is so prevalent in Scripture that Proverbs 10 says this, the wealth of the rich is their fortified city. This understanding that walls fortify a city. They keep the enemies out. You feel protected if you're inside the city with the wall. Actually, so much so that the writer of Proverbs here is saying that this is how it works with wealth. Some people amass wealth and all of a sudden they feel safe because they think they have enough money to buy themselves out of trouble. This is why the Bible never commands us to put our hope in money but to put our hope in God. That's why we give. I mean, of course, giving is practical, right? The church needs resources. We've got to pay bills. We've got to buy things. We're do missions together. But it's more than that. It's spiritual. It continuously reminds us, God, you are source. I am safe because of what you do in my life, not because of the amount of money I've amassed. In the walls of Jerusalem were historical and there's a date that intersects their story that many of us should know 587 BC the Babylonians attacked the southern kingdom and destroyed Jerusalem and this is the dividing line in the story of scripture this is where you get stuff like Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and the fiery furnace. It happens because when Babylon takes over the southern kingdom they take the slaves away so only about 50 years later, 538 B.C., the first partial return is permitted. Ezra leads a group back. So the book of Ezra records this letter from the king in verse 12, describing what this remnant was doing. The king should know that the people who came to us have gone to Jerusalem and are rebuilding that rebellious and wicked city. They're restoring its walls and repairing its foundations. So we know that prior to this moment with Nehemiah, because Nehemiah is extremely careful to remember the date. His date is 445 B.C. Why is that important? That a hundred years have passed. Because what's happened to the wall is not new news when Nehemiah hears it. Can I just say this? Number two in your notes, it's possible to know something in your head that doesn't impact your heart. There are many of you that know, 
I should forgive that person. Or yeah, I know, I know that I said that and that hurt their feelings. We know it in our head. I know I shouldn't do that because it causes problems, but it never gets outside of our head. It only lives in our head. It never gets to our heart. Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the king. He lived in the presence of the king's court. He heard all the news. So it wasn't new to his head, but when his family shows up and shares the news and puts it in context with what's happening, it impacts his heart. This is a supernatural moment where God is calling Nehemiah. God is calling him. This is an powerful intersection between the work of God and Nehemiah's story. And there's something to be learned in it. Do y'all want to see how Nehemiah responded to God? Nobody. All right. It's going to be good. One person back there raised their hand. I love you. One person, whoever you are. Do y'all want to see? Let's do this again. Do y'all want to see? There's a lot in this. Do y'all want to see how Nehemiah responded to God? All right, hey, there we go. There we go. That's a much better response. All right, I'm going to walk you through chapter one and just how Nehemiah interacts with God once he gets this moment when he hears the news and something begins to happen in his heart. The first thing that happens is he laments. The Bible says that he mourns and he fasts and he prays. I want you to know that there's some stuff in life you can't move past. You can't just hear it and then just keep living your life. You hear it and it impacts you so deeply that now you've got to, you've got to feel the weight and you, you mourn it. And many of us have walked through seasons of grief and loss and we've felt that, but Nehemiah does something that a mature believer does almost immediately. Only one verse is spent in lamentation, okay? Number two, he turns to God. All right, it's important to grieve. But First Thessalonians says, we as people of God do not grieve like the rest of the world that has no hope. So if you're still wallowing around in grief and not turning to God, you're not grieving like the Bible says to. There's hope that's in our grief. And he turns to God. God, would you do something? Then he does something that only the boldest would have the courage to do. He confesses sin to God in repentance. Now listen to me. Nehemiah is not a leader. He's not elected. He's not appointed. He's not a priest. But he gets before God and he says, God, I repent for my sin, my father's sin, and our nation's sin. And because he was willing to take on that spiritual burden, he's willing to stand in that spiritual authority that comes with that. And then he gets before God and says, God, would you give us mercy? How many of y'all know God is a God of grace? Grace is where you get what you don't deserve. But he's a God of mercy where I don't get what I do deserve. How many of y'all know, I don't deserve what I've got in life. I deserve a lot worse 
There's times that I deserve a whole lot worse for what I've done in life. But God is a God of mercy, and Nehemiah asks him for mercy. And then he does something that absolutely sets him apart. He asks God to help him to make things right. It's who God is. He doesn't just show up and ransack our hearts for no reason. God is working in us to work through us. God is a God that within our world is working to bring heaven to earth, to make things that are wrong right. It was within that context that I still remember being in my little Volkswagen Jetta the traffic on I-20 having for months began to instead of pray God lead us to an opportunity God would you break our heart for a city and in that moment God called us to Albemarle and it was like the dominoes all fell and things began to connect and I weeped there in the middle of I-20 and that little Volkswagen Jetta knowing that God had answered that prayer. Please hear me if you're taking notes. This is number one of the next section. God gives us burdens that must translate into actions. He gives us burdens that must translate into actions. God doesn't put a burden on us so that we feel heavy. God puts a burden on us. His burden is light. It's so that we will move. It's to provoke us into a next step. There are some things in life you've just got to do something about. You might be saying, but how would I ever do anything about that? I don't have any influence or money. Well, Nehemiah was a slave. He was owned as a person. He was absolutely, totally powerless. But there was something about Nehemiah. He knew the king. He knew the king. And you want to know what? 11 years ago when I was driving over on the very first Sunday of Vortex Church, my wife and I had put all of our money in this. I've told this story before. We had $400. That's all. That's savings, checking, all of that. And I didn't have much to give that. We, we had enough to get us to this moment. But you want to know what? I knew the king. He knew the king. Nehemiah knew the king. And he's a, about to ask for help. He's a, about to say, God, king, could you get involved? But I love that in verse 2 he says, but I was afraid. I was afraid. I've, I've come to see this if you're taking notes. Number two, courageous people feel the fear but choose to do it afraid. They feel the fear. They feel that I, I'm afraid of what's going to happen. I don't know the outcome. But instead of turning away and acting in fear, courageous people, they feel the fear but they do it afraid. Nehemiah was afraid. So was I 11 years ago. God, I don't know how this is going to work out, God. I don't know. But I got to a point when I was more scared to not try. 
do it afraid. He's going to ask the king for help. He's going to ask the king for help. There's something powerful in this passage. Y'all want to go through that together? There we go. Come on. All right. Let's go through how Nehemiah requests the king. Number one, the first thing he does, if you're looking at this passage, Nehemiah 2, verses 1 and 2, the king notices that Nehemiah is sad, but he's not sick. Y'all listen, I'm going to mess somebody up in here, okay? He notices, Nehemiah, I know you're not sick, because I know you ain't going to be handing me that goblet of wine. You've been sick out there. But you seem sick. What's wrong? You know why the king could notice that? Because that's not how Nehemiah normally was. When Nehemiah went into the presence of the king, he went with joy, he went with purpose, he went with passion, he was somebody that could be counted on. And in this day, when his heart was broken, there was something different about it. Some of us have missed the ability to make a difference in other people's lives because we walk into everybody's presence all down and sad and defeated, and that's not how God designed you to live. There's something different about Nehemiah. You look... Like your heart is broken. The king notices. So the king initiates the conversation. Then number two, Nehemiah shares what he's heard with the king. This is one of the most freeing things I've ever learned in my entire life. Acts 1 verse 8. Then you will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses into Jerusalem, Judea, and the rest of the world. The Bible doesn't ask us to be the Bible scholars. It doesn't say that we have to be the anointed prophets. Even though there are plenty of us that could be those, it just says that all of us need to be his witness. You know what a witness does? Shares their story. I live out my story. There ought to be something that somebody sees in you that you don't have to say about you. But then when you get an opportunity and they ask you what's different about you, you get to share what's different about you. Nehemiah shared what he's heard with the king. And I love what happens. The king looks at him and says, what do you need? You're going, why is that important? Because in this moment, Nehemiah didn't just have a dream. He had a plan. Some of us, all we've got in our heart is a dream. Well, I want to do that one day. If I get there one day, if I have enough money one day, all you've got is a dream. Nehemiah didn't just have a dream. He had a plan. So when the king looked at him and said, what do you need? Number four, Nehemiah requested to return to Jerusalem to rebuild the city. I know God's put a burden on my heart, and I want to get involved with what God's doing. I'm ready to move. I'm ready to act. I'm ready to do something. I love what the king said. How long is that going to take? You ever had a boss ask you that before? I got a dream, boss. How long is it going to take you to do that? How long is it going to take? Why is that important? Because Nehemiah didn't have a dream. He had a plan. Okay? He knew how long it was going to take. This wasn't some arbitrary thing that he was about to begin to do. I mean, you're going to see Nehemiah's not some ordinary dude. How long is it going to take? Then to expedite the process, number six, Nehemiah asked the king, would you give me the resources I need? Remember, Nehemiah didn't have anything, but he knew the king. And he knew who to ask. 
King, would you give me the resources I need to do what you've asked me to do? I'm going to go do something that's going to make a difference, but I can't do it on my own. I need you to partner with me. And the king blessed him. And then Nehemiah does something that sets him apart. This is what makes Nehemiah the leader that we're still reading about thousands of years later. Nehemiah gives God the credit for this victory. The last message in this series is going to be how to win. Because Nehemiah shows us how to win. See, some of y'all are asking God for a victory in a certain area of your life right now, but God's not going to give it to you until you give Him credit for the last victory. See, Nehemiah doesn't say, God did this because I've been a faithful cupbearer to the king. I've been a, a good example of a Godfather. He doesn't say that. He says, and because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my request. It wasn't about me. It wasn't about him. It was about God. And you see something in this, that we will never make things right in the world if things aren't right in us. Oh, God wants to use you. God uses men. God uses women. He does. God could speak out of the heavens. He could send angels. But He chooses to use us. But you need to hear what I'm about to say. God needs to do a work in you before He can do a work through you. Some of us keep praying, God, I want to do this, I want to do this. And He's saying, no, I need you to settle down for a little while and let me do something inside of you that will actually be worth sharing. There was something in Nehemiah that when he comes to that moment, it was worth sharing with the world. He is really specific about the dates. If you get into the text, he says he encounters his family in November of 445 B.C. But then it's March 444 B.C. that he gets before the king. In between that, he says there were some days that I spent fasting and praying and going before the Lord. Y'all listen to me. Nehemiah had put in the work. He had got with God. He had said, God, you gave me a burden. I don't want to just sit on the burden. I know what's going to have to happen. The king's going to have to join me. He actually let God do a work in him before he began to try to let God do a work through him. Now, I want to give you some takeaways from this text today as we wrap this up. Number one is we need to live with a supernatural sensitivity. I know some of y'all, especially y'all men, like, I don't want to be sensitive. Well, you talk about feelings, emotions. I don't like those things. I know that, okay? As many of us men are raised that way. But there's something about Nehemiah. Nehemiah is a bad dude. You don't want to mess with Nehemiah, Okay? Let's put it that way. You can see that next week. But there's something in his heart where he's willing to be sensitive to God. See, the thing about our care in life, care is a limited commodity. You can't care about everything. And while you can't care about everything, there should be some supernatural burdens that break your heart. 
There should be some callings on your life to do some things in this world. I love verse 2 when the king sees Nehemiah. He says, Nehemiah, you're not sick. The only way you can be the way you are right now is because of a broken heart. You know, it's easy in our world to get desensitized to the pain of this world. You see the images from Maui and you, you hear about the earthquake in Nepal. You, you watch the documentary on, on this and that and you see the news reports and your Facebook feed is filled with all of these things. It's easy to get desensitized. And we could maybe even say, well, it's a modern problem. Nehemiah was a slave who lived in the presence of the king. He heard all those things too. But he was willing to let God break his heart. And that became our prayer. God, break our heart for a city. And he did. And it was for Albemarle, North Carolina. And we moved back with nothing more than a vision to plant a church. And I've learned this as a guy who drove in 11 years ago to the first Sunday with $400 to my name. When God guides us to something, he will provide what we need to get there. I didn't know what that meant at the time. But I've seen God over and over and over again meet our needs. I believe in stewardship and financial responsibility. Can I say this? In the 11 years of Vortex Church, there's never been a Sunday that we stood up and needed an offering. We haven't. But you want to know what? We've been able to do more in the last two years because many of your generosity. We've given away. We've funded ministry. We've done mission trips. We've helped this and helped that. And we're able to do that where God guides, God provides. Nehemiah was a slave. He had nothing. But he knew the king. And humility before the king unlocked the provision needed for the vision. Nehemiah knew he couldn't do it alone. He knew he needed God to intervene. I want you to hear this about God's vision for your life. God's vision for your life will always provoke humility. I'm also going to say this. If it's provoking arrogance and selfishness and self-sufficiency, it's probably not from God. Because the vision for God will consistently, your it's not about me, God, it's about you. I can't do it without you. The only way it's ever going to happen is if you show up. And he will, if it's his vision. Because he provides, and that's why you look at Nehemiah, and you can see this. Don't delay obedience. Delayed obedience is disobedience. When God has spoken to you, go forgive that person. I want you to give that. I want you to let go of that. I want you to trust me in this place, but you're not willing to. When you delay obedience, it's disobedience. Now, you might be saying, but Kevin, you just told me there's four months between the time that God spoke to Nehemiah and the time he got in front of the king. See, humility knows that often the first step towards the vision is our own personal growth. 
It was Nehemiah humbling himself in front of God, realizing how much he needed God that laid the pathway for when God showed up. He didn't take the credit for the victory. He gave the credit to God. God has to do a work in you before He's going to do a work through you. For Nehemiah in that moment, his home laid in ruins and it was time to build that wall. He wasn't going to wait. He was ready to get to work. And can I tell you something? Neither are we. We're not waiting. I got some exciting news. If you've been in our church for the last four months, you know that it is normal for us to show up on a Sunday morning just like it is now and just be absolutely slammed so full that we can't fit a family of four. So I'm so excited to announce that this fall, starting in November, our church will be in two campuses in two places at the same time on Sunday morning. God has done a work in this last season. People coming to Jesus. People coming to church. People starting to serve. New leaders raising up. And it's time. It's time to do something. Just like Nehemiah's heart broke for Jerusalem. Twelve years ago, my heart broke for this city. I can remember in that moment the visuals of people that I knew that were here who were struggling and hurting and lost. That's where Vortex came from. See, the need hasn't changed, though. There's still families in Albemarle that are lost and broken and hurting. There's still people who are struggling with addiction. There's still people who are lost in hopelessness. There's still believers in our community who have yet to get plugged to a life-giving church that gives them purpose and meaning. There's still so much to do. So this week, as we move into Seek Week, let's take this week to seek God and Let's take this week to ask God, God, would you do the change in me that I want to see in this community? Let revival come, but let it start here. For you, maybe that's starting with humbling yourself. See, if you're trying to do your vision your way and you keep looking at God saying, no, I got this. I got it. God's not going to show up on your behalf. You've got to humble yourself. God, I want what you have for me. Maybe today it's just saying, God, I'm going to surrender to your work in me. I know that you want to do something through my life, but I know that it starts with you working in me. Maybe today you're in a point where you're like, God, I don't know what burden. I care about a lot of things, but I don't know what to do. God, would you break my heart? And for some of us in this room, we know what we need to do. We just haven't said yes to it. You know you need to be working with kids. Serving and volunteering. Coming in to help with setup. You know that you're supposed to start giving. You know that. None of that's new. But you haven't surrendered to God's vision for your life. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. 
For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.